Turn your Bibles, as I said, to the book of Matthew, beginning at verse number 1. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, and then I will pray. I'll be reading from the NIV. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples, his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You bow your head, please. We thank you today for the privilege of being able to stand in your presence, Lord. We're praying today that as we begin this new series, that you will be with us, that you will give us ears to hear, feet to obey, hearts to respond. We pray today that our walk will be one that is pleasing to you, that we will be faithful to the call of God. The requests that have been spoken in this place today, the hearts that are heavy, and those that are praying for others, we lift them up today that you will do a great and a mighty work in their lives. Decisions that have to be made. Give wisdom. People that are dealing with various illnesses, illnesses and ailments and cancers and, and the like, we are praying today that you will touch their bodies. Those that are out of employment, those that are still coming to, to know the Lord, those have not made the decision but are on the path to the Lord, we're praying you'll bring them quickly. We're praying today that you will give us the privilege and the ability to understand all that you're doing. We give you glory. Now, those things that we don't understand, would you show us and enlighten us? We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. The Sermon on the Mount is what I'm entitling this, the Sermon on the Mount. There's often a strong pull to tug on the human heart and focus on that which is temporal. The Sermon on the Mount is a masterful teaching of Jesus, which is said to be the longest and best of his teachings. All of Jesus' teachings are exemplary. All of them are remarkable. He was a master teacher. You could not trap Jesus. You could not raise a question with the wrong motives and not have him go to the heart of what the problem actually is. You couldn't hide in the crowd hoping not to be seen because he knows who touches him. The Lord knows what people need. He's the master, he's the creator, and he knows all things. There's nothing that he does not understand, nothing that's hidden from him. Dr. John Butler says that Jesus was concerned about the people's spiritual need. Seeing the crowds, according to John Butler, was not just physically seeing them, but seeing that they had a spiritual need. Jesus' teaching here shows his compassion for people. 
The Sermon on the Mount is noted as Jesus teaching his disciples. Today, as we look at the first three verses, we'll delve right into the Word and be out of here before the rooster crows tomorrow. First point that we want to address today is what Jesus saw. What Jesus saw. Um, Jesus is in the business of seeing people. Notice what it does not say. It does not say that Jesus saw animals and trees. He saw people. Today they have land that is protected from you putting your foot on. They've got parks off limits to you. Deer can run wild. Fish can swim in the lakes that is off limits to fishing. Bugs are protected so that you can't build on their land. No churches, no buildings doesn't say that Jesus saw these, he saw people. We need to note that Jesus looks at things differently than you and I look at them, and even how the politician may see them. To me, there's a contrast between what Jesus sees and what people on the outside see. Politicians see votes when they look at you. They see that the more people, the more power they can have. They see opportunity to advance themselves. And they see where they can put more restrictions on you and strip you of your God-given rights. Regulations, as I said, to keep you off of the earth that God created for your enjoyment. Man has created limits that says no trespassing. When the Lord said that he made this world, said fill the world and fill the earth and enjoy, it is man that puts all these restrictions and tell you, you can't go, you can't see, you can't enjoy God's bounty. When Jesus saw the crowd, he had compassion on them. His compassion, compassion was aroused when he saw the people. Seeing must go beyond noticing something or someone for your own advantage to where the need can be met. You need to see where there's a need. You need to see what Jesus sees. Jesus is in the business of meeting needs, not the whims of people. You see, politicians and people on the outside, when they want something, they'll lie to you to get it. And then tell you they don't remember what they said. Today, you've got to be careful what you say because they'll have it on camera, the television, and, and record it. They'll have everything that you said, and they'll have the date that you said it on. Be careful of those pocket calls with your phone. <laughs> Must be a kid, brother Kenny was talking yesterday, and he—I was out walking. He called, and, the, and I noticed when he rang one time. I called back. 
He said, oh, that was a mistake. I had my phone. I wasn't, didn't mean to call. That's okay. I told him about the pocket because I've, I've done it. I unlocked mine. So it's not calling you by accident. I recently, well, been a little while, but I was, uh, had received a call from a person once. And um, not too long ago. And I was uh, downstairs. I was uh, working on a song. And we were talking and hung up, and my phone rang again. Well, the person that I had just got through talking to was using to, towards another person a whole lot of foul language. So, either that night or the next day, I called that person back and said, Hey, I heard you. What you were saying, you uh, didn't know, but your phone called me back. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, I just want you to know I heard you. I sure did. And to let him know that you got to be careful because you don't know who might just be listening to your conversations. Jesus, as he begins his ministry, calls his disciples. He's been teaching in Galilee, teaching in the synagogue, if you look back, at the... Chapter 4, there is around verse 23 that he's teaching in Galilee, synagogues. He's preaching the good news, healing every disease and sickness among the people. And the Bible says in verse 24 of chapter 4 of Matthew, that news about him was spreading all over Syria. And people were being brought to him with all types of various diseases. Those suffering pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed. And the Bible says that he healed them all. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the regions across the Jordan followed him. The crowds followed Jesus because he had something to say, but the issue that we look at is that the crowds followed him, but they didn't know that they had the need that they did. Jesus did. He knew it. And the Bible says that they followed. Now, as Jesus sees the crowds, he looks on them and he sees that they have a need to be treated with compassion. Someone find for me Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. Even though we have a screen with the verses, you should always bring your Bible. Bring your Bible to church. It's like going to school without your textbook. Bring your Bible. Bring your Bible. Verse, is it 36? Please read it. Amen. That's, that's 36? Yes, that's only 136. Now, 1414, someone find, else have it? Please read it. And healed their sick. Jesus moved with compassion. In chapter 5 of Matthew, we have the crowds that he sees. He has recently called his disciples, which may have included more than the twelve. And so as he goes up this mouth, the disciples are there and the crowds are there. What Jesus did 
with what he saw. What did he do? The Bible says that he went up on a mountainside. There have been comparisons made between Jesus going up on a mountainside and Moses going upon the mountain or into the mountain to meet with God. It is interesting that Moses, in beginning to, as he led the children of Israel out of Egypt, the Lord says that on this mountain you are going to worship me. Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb. Good to see you, Dennis. And so we see that here Jesus goes up. Now there may have been just a lot more room, a lot more space. But it is noteworthy just that he goes there. The mountain that Moses was on was off limits to the people. In fact, the Lord said, set parameters around that mountain so that the people don't try to break through to see me and I break out against them. But on the mountain that Jesus goes to, There is a welcoming of the crowd, and they go up the mountain to be with him. Where God had been unapproachable, here Jesus is welcoming the crowd because there is a need that has to be met. So this mountain is climbed. Jesus is there, and the people are there, and the disciples are there. Jesus does nothing by accident. He has a purpose in everything that he does. He didn't come here by accident. He didn't plan your salvation by accident. He didn't create this world by accident. Big bang. Things just happen to be. Give me a break. When you look at the structure of what God has done, it was by purpose and it was by design. And Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is by purpose and it is by design. And it reveals and shows the compassion that he has for the people. And noting another aspect of the comparison of Jesus and Moses, the primary message that Jesus gives in the Beatitudes is that they form the foundation of what Jesus is going to be preaching on. Just like in Moses going up the mountain, he goes and he gets the Ten Commandments, and as he goes, they form the foundation of all of the other 600 scriptures or laws that God was going to give. The foundation, the Beatitudes, are the foundation of which Jesus is going to base his sermon. The Beatitudes come first, just as the Ten Commandments came first. When we think about Jesus and how he does things, he is moving from one point to a next because he knows how things work. You see, with us, we, we would want to get paid for two weeks' worth of work before we do the work. That's how we... If you were to ask most people, do you want to be paid today or in two weeks? I would be paid today. Is what we probably would say. I, I, can I get paid today? 
Some of you be saying, can I get in advance? <laughs> but Jesus, in knowing how things work, he knows that he has to move from one place to the next because there is a, the structure. He is setting things in place because he knows that as he builds on this, the people will actually get it. The next thing that we note as he goes up on the mountain, we, we note the position that he takes. He sits down. It is noteworthy that as he goes up the mountain, he sits. The customary position of the teachers in this day was to sit down and teach the people. So what does he do? He takes his position of authority that says, I am the teacher, and sits to tell the people the things that he's going to expound and that's on his heart. We need to understand that there are times when we need to come and just sit at the feet of Jesus. We need to note and understand that if you really want to hear from God, you've got to spend time with him. To get to know who Jesus is, you've got to be with him. The quickest way to forget something is to stop doing it. If you want, in fact, they would do some experiments with animals in psychology, and, and, and I mentioned something not long ago when I talked about cause and effect and correlations, right? Well, one of the things that, that's within that realm in psychology is something called extinction. How do you cause a behavior that has once been now formed as that's there to not be there in a way if you don't want that same behavior? Well, part of it is that you began to withdraw the stimulus or the, the, the reinforcement that keeps that particular behavior going. You remove it. Extinction. You want that behavior to no longer occur. So what animals they do? They remove the reward. They remove something. When you think about, though, having something for those same animals, when you want a behavior to be increased the way that they do it, they give rewards intermittently. So where they used to always give a reward in order to create the habit or the, be, the expectation, in order to maintain it over time, they, begin, they began to give the reward only periodically at times so that they don't know when it's coming. It may come on the third time, the reward. It may come on the fifth time. It may come on the seventh. It may come on the second. So it keeps the behavior going in that particular sense because they don't know. Right? You can't do that with the Lord. You can't be hit and miss. When I, when, I, when I don't pray and some time has passed, I notice something happens in my spirit. Have you noticed that? In my spirit, I notice uh, I begin to get, uh, I can read that later. I don't do that much at all. I rarely, in fact. But there are times when the timing of when I would pray would change. I've got to watch that. Or I'm going to pray here because I'm having to do this. And that issue that you're dealing with will carry right on to the time that you said that you were going to pray. And before you know it, your time is being eaten up by the very thing that you thought you could put some restrictions and limits on. It is now at the very place. You've got to guard your time with the Lord very carefully. People that want to hear from God and get a word... They've got to spend time and be with him. And so the crowd 
is with Jesus upon the mountain, and he sits down to begin to teach them. So the position that he takes is very important. Many of the people, when hearing Jesus, came to see very quickly that he didn't teach like the scribes and the Pharisees, but he taught with authority. They come to see that when Jesus was teaching and preaching, they said it, it ain't like those at the temple. It ain't like the scribes and the Pharisees. When he's teaching, there's something about his authority that's different. Jesus stands all alone. There's nothing and no one that can be compared to him. Buddha does not, me- does not, does not measure up. Muhammad does not measure up. No foreign god, Baal, does not measure up. Jesus is in a class all by himself. And it is so important that we understand that. That if you're trying to make it in life, and you are trying to make decisions that's going to affect your future, you're going to set your compass wrong. These people are in the right place. Upon this mountain, sitting at the feet, or even though standing, where Jesus is now sitting, prepared to hear what he has to say. Just Jesus, as the master teacher, sits because he is the teacher that gives truth. Being anointed by God and anointing preaching and anointed preaching is a must if people are to experience what God truly has for them. Point number two, the first beatitude. The first beatitude means, or the word beatitude, let me just say this, beatitude means happiness or blessedness. There's no word called beatitude in the Bible. You won't come into or find the word beatitude in the Bible. There are eight beatitudes, but we're going to be looking at, as I'll be following the outline from Primarily John Butler, there's nine that he's going to outline because some actually look at the last beatitude as one. But we're going to, as we get through them over time, break it down into two. The word beatitude means blessed, and it is oftentimes used synonymously with the word blessed. The Bible says here, blessed are the poor in spirit. Today people have taken this first Beatitude out of context. This verse is not dealing with material possessions. It is not dealing with being poor financially. Blessed are the poor in spirit deals with one spiritual bankruptcy. We have nothing that we can offer God, nothing that we can bring to him. Our spiritual poorness is not the guarantee of the blessings that are to follow. You can't say, because I'm poor, I get. That is not the case. That's what government does. Oh, you're poor, let's give. But do you not know that you are not being given something just because out of the kindness of people's hearts? The government's not trying to give you something. They want something from you. As I said, votes. 
wants you to view something a certain way. God wants you to have truth. And what Jesus gives on the mountain, on the mount is truth. Blessed are the poor in spirit. There are two aspects to this blessed are the poor in spirit. One is that you cannot bring anything to God because you have nothing to offer. Well, look at the good things that I'm doing. We can't say that with God. Because when we look on the inside, there's nothing that you can bring that would be acceptable. Why? The first thing that you recognize is that you're bankrupt. And the second part of that is that you know that you've got to come to God in order for him to give you what you need. That's what being poor in spirit represents. You come to God because you have nothing to bring, and he's the one that gives you. In other words, you've got to come to him. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You've got nothing, nothing, nothing that you can offer. So today there are people that tell that you at times will hear talk about, oh, the poor is going to get to go to heaven. Do you not know there's some mean poor people? Do you know not, not know that people that are poor are corrupt just like people that are rich and middle class? Do you not know that every class of people got problems? Or should I say have problems? Yeah, I was right. Got problems. You cannot use finances as a means of being able to enter into, into God's kingdom. Oh, I know that people today talk about wealth and health and success, all that kind of stuff, or being poor. Bring God the Lord will bless the poor. No, it's not, that's not what that verse is dealing with. Your financial poverty or your financial richness. We are poor in spirit because we have nothing within ourselves to bring to God. And we recognize that everybody's got to come to him. Because guess what the Bible says? Blessed are the poor, what? In spirit, for what? Theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. Now note what it says. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Who? Everybody that comes to the Lord. The poor in spirit. It represents all of us. It is our spiritual condition. That is the focus. Your spiritual makeup. That is at the root of this beatitude. Blessed are the poor. If everybody thought that poorness would get you into heaven, there would be a lot of people trying to become poor. If I can get to heaven, oh Lord, help me to become poor. I don't ever hear people praying for poorness. Lord, would you meet my needs? Would you more abundantly bless me, Lord? Overflowing and running over. That's what we want. How many people are you saying, Lord, I want to live a poverty-stricken life so I can please you. I want you to take everything I have away so that I can be ready for the kingdom of heaven. Take everything I have. All my money, all my things, that I, my possessions, just take them, Lord. Now, for those who have prayed that and he begins to do it, they have a quick change of heart. Lord, what's happening to me? I can't see. We just, well, put us, but Lord, let's put a pause on what you've been doing. What I pray, let's take that back. I just take it all back. No, please, give me. 
Our prayers are generally for God to bless us rather than to take away from us. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Only Jesus can give the kingdom. You come to him because he is the one that has the ability to give it to you now. Now get this. For theirs, the Bible says, is the kingdom of heaven. Present. Now and in the future. You see, the Israelites, when God gave them the commandments, they said, all that God has said, even before they had it written down, God had even written the Ten Commandments down, all that he said, we're going to do. They accepted the commandments verbally, right then. It was in place. Think about it. They had not even yet received the Ten Commandments written because Moses was upon the mountain getting them. And the Lord said, Moses, go down because the people that you brought out of Egypt have down there and they've made themselves a calf. The very thing that they promised they would do, they're, they're breaking the commandments. And then Moses goes down with the tablets in his hand. They were to obey the commandments that were given to them even before they had received them in writing. Presently. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. We have the kingdom now. Because when Jesus is on the scene, the kingdom has already come. Well, I know that we talk about the kingdom of heaven that we're going to be in one day, and, but the kingdom is present within us because when Jesus gives, the kingdom becomes a part of what's inside that he brings. And we are looking forward to one day then being with him. It's for the poor in spirit. It's for those who understand that they've got to come to him because theirs is the kingdom. That's why people outside the church can't have the kingdom. Because they have not come to the one who gives the kingdom. That's why good works and deeds can't measure up because, as I said, the poor in spirit understand that we are bankrupt before the Lord. What is the new, I don't even know, bankruptcy used to be seven years, sometimes it's now 10 or 14 years. Eleven years, I knew there's different types of bankruptcies and courts. But basically, everybody knows when you're bankrupt means that technically you ain't got nothing or you don't have enough to satisfy your debt. In most cases, when it comes to bankruptcy, it was our own fault. In most cases. But when it comes to your spiritual condition, you inherited that from your foreparents. But you are still held responsible. For coming to the one who's sitting, teaching. And so as we conclude today, this first one here, you need to know this. The kingdom of heaven is for the poor in spirit. Because they've come to him and know that it's to God they've got to come in order to be able to enjoy what he has to offer. Don't use physical poverty as a means at all. There will be poor people in hell, poor people in heaven. There will be rich people in hell, rich people in heaven. There will be middle class people in hell, middle class people in heaven. There is no state of limbo. There's no ground in between. There's no place uh, ethereal. There's no just kind of out there floating. Don't exist. 
one place or the other. Doesn't make a difference what color you are. Your color, your shoe size, does not make a difference. What you've even done in the past doesn't make a difference if the poor in spirit comes to the one that's sitting on the mount teaching, recognizing that they're poor in spirit and that he is the one that they have to come to. Let me say this as we conclude. If today you were called out of this world, where would you go? If today you left this church and somebody not paying attention took your life, where would you go? The avenue is open for everybody, but the decision is left to you to come to him who has the remedy. Is there anybody in this place that said, Lord, I've never accepted you? Always thought about it, but you know, nah, got time to wait. Then a lot of people that decided to wait and waited too long. I almost did. All of us was, as my dad would say, we're on a spider web hanging over here. <laughs> God's grace and mercy is available to you. God's spirit won't always strive with man. There comes a time when there's a cutting off point. I ask you to bow your head. Those, I'm going to give a, ask a prayer first. For those who just don't know the Lord and say, God, I, I've, it's time. I want to accept you as my Savior. We confess our sins to him. We confess. We come to him. We know we are poor in spirit. We come and say, Lord, I confess my sins. Would you forgive me? I want to live for you. And then I want to get involved because I know that living for you means I've got to be faithful in church. Faithful in doing what God has called me to do and live holy. I'm learning. I'm coming to learn for what God has. I'm, I'm learning. I want to live for God. All the things in the past. I, let me say this. I was so taken when I heard. We call him Big Fun. Dwayne said yesterday. He said, I used to have all the fun, but now I'm in the church. About to become ordained deacon. Makes you just kind of look and says, ah, what the Lord is doing. God can take all of us. He takes, he has taken some of us. He's cleaned us up. Everybody can benefit and be a part. Anybody in this place says, Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. It's time. Anybody saying, yeah, Lord, I'm, I'm here. Any hands, I'm ready. So I want to thank you for the hand that went up here. Saying it's time right now to make that decision. I'm poor in spirit. And so, Lord, I need to come to you because he says I'm bankrupt. Today we are praying that the word of God penetrates and now does a work in us that just turns, challenges, helps us to, to grow and to live by what you have already said. We pray today that as we leave this place, that God, your hand of mercy and protection won't leave us. Those that are still waiting, we're praying for. Those that are saying, yeah, because God, we know this. The Bible says one plants, another waters, but we know that's the Holy Spirit that does the work. And so today we love you, we thank you. As we leave, be honored and glorified. And may the Savior of our soul be lifted up. We give you praise in Jesus' precious name. God bless you. Amen.